This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. We bring in Don Robertson of the Dundas Real McCoys, at least during the season, of Calm Choice Realty in Dundas, of a variety of other things that he does in Valley Town. They still call it Valley Town. Sure do. It hasn't changed. No flatter. You know, I was watching some of the U.S. Open yesterday. In fact, I was watching quite a bit of the U.S. Open yesterday, especially when it got nasty outside and really couldn't sit outside very often. And I think twice or three times I saw a commercial for Mackenzie Hughes or with Mackenzie Hughes on the U.S. Open featuring Dundas Valley Golf Course and downtown Dundas. And it's for um, Freedom 55 or something, I think. Anyway, yeah. So that was kind of cool. First, I knew that he'd made that commercial. And I knew that they had aired it the first time during the Masters, but I was down in Augusta for the Masters, so I wasn't watching on TV. So I was sort of half paying attention to the U.S. Open. I mean, it's golf. You can tune in and tune out. And all of a sudden it's like, wait, wait, that, that, that's McKenzie. And then hit rewind on the PVR. I was like, yeah, that was, that was kind of neat. Good Dundas, for him. Dundas is famous and he's helping. You know, you watch... I think the last, is it the last seven, the last eight, the last nine major tournaments have all been won by first-time major winners. We don't have anybody in golf right now who is Tiger Woods at the apex of his career or even Phil Mickelson at his best. There is, I mean, people are going to think that it's crazy to say this. On a weekend or on a week that McKenzie or anyone else, frankly, is at their absolute best, there's a shot. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting money on McKenzie to win a major this year or right away, but I'm saying when these guys, golf is so even right now, there's so much parity like there is in most other sports that if you have a weekend where it all comes together and you just have one of those fantastic weekends where your putt is, putter's working and the, everything's flying right, almost anybody could win one of those. Obviously, uh. Following Mac a little closer and, and uh, always follow the Canadians. You know, you check the paper in the morning and see how the Canadians are doing. One of the things that uh, that I pay more attention to now, and talk about Mac in a second, but you start looking at who misses the cut. A lot of big names. A lot of big names. Because it's so so even. That's the point. I mean, your point is outstanding. And it's when, when you look at, well, you just follow him. I mean, he'll miss a cut and be a top ten. Well, he the tournament that and he miss won a cut and be top fifteen. The tournament he won this year, or late last year, no, in December, was the week after he missed the cut. It's yeah. just it's so even. And here's the thing that's amazing to me is there are right now four Canadians on tour right now who are either in their prime or approaching their prime, and you say, if we were ever going to have a Canadian winner of a Canadian Open, you would think that it's going to happen in the next five to six years. Yeah, when you've got four guys on the tour that can all win. Hadwin, Hearn, Mackenzie Hughes, Graham Dillette, those guys, any one of those guys, again, you put that weekend together, there is nobody equivalent to Tiger Woods who is so far ahead of the field that you can say, I'm, I'm probably playing for second unless he's off. So it's very even. Just and when you think there's a superstar, Spieth, mm-hmm. you can't find him with a search warrant now. I mean, you know, he's not, I mean, he's sniffing and he around will be. a little bit. No, but he will be. And all of a sudden he'll get hot again and yeah. he'll be in the top five for five tournaments in a row. Um, yeah, no, I mean, the guys. Rory McIlroy miss, misses the cut. Jason Day missed the cut. Dustin Johnson, the number one rated golfer in the world. 
Yeah. It's interesting. So it's got a lot to do with the parity. That's not why they didn't make the cut. They didn't play well enough. But even the superstars, I guess, have bad weeks, generally not collectively on a, on a major tournament. But there's a lot of really good golfers that didn't make the cut. I mean, Mac tried to make the cut. It's hard to make the cut in the U.S. Open. He made the cut, as you uh, articulated in The Spectator, when he was uh, an amateur. Yeah, he played in Marion in 2013 down in Philadelphia. and He emerged as one of, I think, 15 qualifiers out of a field that started with 10,000. But again, there's every, I mean, he might not have. But there's a lot of people. The golf is just so level right now. Here's the other thing. I don't want to talk about golf, to be honest with you. Well, but you at least, I know, not for a long time anyway. <laughs> I could not believe, let's put it this way, a week and a half ago, I went to the driving range with my son. He's 19. He's a big, tall kid, and he's been working out, and he's getting stronger. And he's not much, he, he is loving golf now, but he has just recently taken up. Anyway, he's driving and flying the 275 marker. He hits the ball a ton. And I'm looking yesterday, and Ricky Fowler, who's about five foot five, I don't know if he's five five, five eight maybe, but maybe 150 pounds, 160 pounds, hit a 300-yard shot with an iron. It's insane. I, now, of course, if I try, I can't hit the ball anywhere close to that. But I'm looking, and again, my son, who can, is not a pro golfer at this, you know, by any stretch. But he can hit the ball a long way with his driver, and he hits it a long way, and a little tiny guy with an iron is out hitting him. That just blows my mind that what golfers are doing these days, well, too. Well, it's the size of the guys, right? You look at well, Mike Weir's, you know, Mike Weir isn't a very big guy at all, but he can play the game. It's all, it goes it's to all show technique. you how much timing it is and hitting the ball square and club head speed, and it stands to reason that a guy six foot six should be able to pound it. And then you do. And they, and do. they do, but so but, the little guys. Yeah, but they do. I mean, I met John Daly at uh, Jason Galio's <laughs> tournament, and you know they talk about Big John Daly. I mean, he's no taller than I am. Like he's no, he's when they say Big John Daly, they're referring horizontally. Yeah, yeah. and that's all gone now too since he's. Quit, I'll say this though: quit uh, drinking again. I've covered enough. Not I, I'm not out there every week by any stretch, but I've covered enough PGA Tour events now that it always blows me away that when the guys walk out of the clubhouse to go to the first tee. And for anyone who's never been to a PGA Tour event, it's not a fancy process. They don't drive them up in an armored vehicle to the first tee. They come out of the clubhouse, they've got their caddy with them, and they have usually a security guy. Just And it's not even like an armed security guy. It's just a guy in a polo shirt or something that says security on it. With a howitzer. When the guys get to the tee box, everyone starts cheering for them, and they realize, hey, there's whoever, and they're famous. When they're walking from the clubhouse to the tee box, most of these guys are so underwhelming physically that people are walking beside them and they don't even know they're walking beside one of the golfers. Yeah. Because they all, not all, many. Mike Weir is a very small man. That's what I mean. He's 5'6", 5'7", maybe maybe 5'8", maybe. And skinny as a rail. And if you were behind Mike Weir, you would never in a thousand million years, unless you had studied the gait of particular golfers. But I mean, if you were the average golf fan, you would never know that was a guy who won the Masters in front of you. You can't say that in basketball. Most guys in baseball are 
built and yeah. and six feet tall or more hockey players. Most of them are approaching six feet tall, and they're bow legged as you could shoot a cannonball between their legs if they were touching their ankles together. All the all the best skaters in the world are bow legged. Golfers, they look like they don't. I, I don't even want to say they look like you and me. They look like guys at Golf Town. They they unless yeah. I'm a Golf Town. No, they they look like nothing. And that's the part that blows me away when you see a guy hit a 300, forget even with the iron, when you see these guys hitting 320 with their driver, and you say, how in the world does a guy that size get that much speed in his club and that much torque and be able to hit it that far? Because you don't see five foot six baseball players that often. There's a couple of them. I like it when they're out 170. All right, he's probably going to put away <laughs> that's right. just to the right. I'm, I'm looking, going, I'm, I'm hitting my, my nine wood. <laughs> Yeah, I'm grabbing my four iron, and they're picking up a wedge, and they have to take something off. And the commentator's saying, and this is likely where it's going to land. And I'm standing over mine going, Lord knows where this is going to land. <laughs> That's right. Anyone within 100 yards, please put on your helmet. I'm about to hit, which is not that much of a lie. I've, 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 I may have shared this story with you once before, but I was at a charity tournament one time. And I tried to hit a flop shot over some trees. So I tipped my club face way back to get a much bigger angle. And I tipped it back too far. So I actually hit it really hard, but flat with the bottom of the club. Right in the brain. And I missed a guy that I was golfing with. I missed putting it in his eye hole by about two inches. Like it buzzed him and I think it may have nicked his ear. But if I had been two inches, and I laugh, but if I had hit, if I had been two inches to the right, I could have killed that guy. And now I'm now it's like okay, everyone just everyone's got to be behind me. There's, you can't even be off to the side. Well, since I've seen you golf, you know. I believe the whole you story. Know. The other, I'll tell you one other then we'll it, it was at a Bulldogs tournament one year and it was at um Beverly. Beverly or Century Pines, I can't remember. And I was teeing off with Rick Natras, Stanley Cup winner from the Calgary Flames, Hamilton guy. And I was actually, I don't know why, you're never supposed to do this, but it was a charity tournament, so who cares? I was doing a phone interview with CHML. I was on the phone with CHML. And um, so I'm about to tee off. I put the phone down. I said, hold on a second. I actually said, put the, I just got to hit my ball here. So I put the phone down, and I hit the ball, and I hit it at about a 45-degree angle. So it hit a tree off to the side and ricocheted straight back towards us and almost hit Natras and almost hit me and all you hear is screaming. <laughs> and now I'm picking up the phone and trying to carry on an interview and they're, what, what, what just happened? Well, nearly killed my foursome. <laughs> anyway, I just, that's enough of that. I just, um, I, I'm amazed by what these guys can do. I, you know, the touch, like that, that's cool. That's all, yeah. you know, that, that's beyond my ability. Old guys have touch. There are guys, yeah, you can go out and play with a 70-year-old guy who plays every day and not, he doesn't have the touch of a pro, but he can put the ball up on the green. And, and They're pretty it's, good. It's the fact that you can have a little tiny guy who's five foot six and 150 pounds and he can just crush the ball. I just, I don't understand that. I, I don't understand the physics of that. That's why I don't get. I don't know how it's physically possible because, again, there are probably four guys that size in Major League Baseball who can ha- actually hit for some power. Dustin Pedroia with the Boston Red Sox can. Um, what's his name? Second baseman on the Houston Astros can. There may be one or two others, but little guys can't generate that kind of power in baseball. They all can in golf. Yeah, they have to. And they're all pretty good. And no, they're, they're not bad. 
They're not. If they're on the PGA Tour, they're not bad. Is our non-golf segment over? Yeah, we'll go to commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to chat because about hockey because there's a lot going on this week in the world of hockey. There's the Vegas. expansion draft. There's the NHL awards. We're going to skip that part. There is the amateur draft on Friday and Saturday. But when, I, when we come back, Don, I want to ask you, you're a guy who's been in hockey forever. If you were drafting for Las Vegas, if you now get your choice of these guys, do you draft the best players to build a team that is competitive right away so you get your fans engaged? Or do you draft the players that you think has the highest trade value to build up the most number of draft picks and prospects so you can be good four or five years down the road, but in a non-hockey market, might you have lost the immediate interest and in the f- new fresh car smell with the fan base? You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. First of all, we, we, we bash the NHL occasionally for stupid things it does. I got to say, what they are doing on Wednesday, full credit to whoever came up with the idea. They've got the NHL awards and they've got the Vegas expansion draft. And rather than doing them separately, they have combined them. So you get an NHL award, let's say the Norris Trophy is given out, and then George McPhee gets up and he's going to pick a couple players. And then you get another award. This is, this, that would be interesting. That is going to be a, an interesting, compelling bit of television. What a business plan, eh? Get somebody to give you $500 million every year. Every year. Well, we'll see how many times they do it. For yeah. Especially when you can buy Buffalo for $180 million. But anyway, it's I, but I, right. I, I congratulate them for that play because I think this is a way you make compelling television. You, you mash everything into this yeah. one thing and you throw in a little entertainment. Arkells are playing and some other. That, that to me is, uh, was well thought out and well constructed and good for them. So. You are, George McPhee, you are the general manager of the Vegas Knights, Vegas Golden Knights. Um, You have not slept now for probably about seven days because 30 other general managers are frantically and probably in some cases panicked calling you to try and figure out how to get you not to take the star player that they were unable to protect under the rules. But you are going into a non-traditional hockey market. You're going into a place where you have to grow the game. People down in Vegas are not necessarily hockey fans to begin with. Are you drafting a team of established star or close to or at least really good players so that you can be competitive right off the bat and get your fans engaged right away by being a good team? Or are you drafting entirely for the future. I'm drafting player X because I know that some team will give me a first round pick for him or whatever else. Are you drafting for three or four or five years down the road so when you get there, you can be great? I am drafting, well, obviously you take Marc-Andre Fleury. You have to have a goalie. Yeah, well, you got to have two. Well, but I'm saying, You're right. in the NHL to have any shot, you have to have a goalie. Right. And that's an easy pick. That's a that's probably a gimme putt. And he'll keep him until somebody offers him something obscene in November. When somebody's goalie gets hurt. Sure. And they think they got a shot, and, and it's a season-ending injury. It's a pretty good asset to have. I'd also grab a couple other guys that, that have a personality and that will help sell the game. Uh, a Ty Domi in his day would have been great. Good with the media, you know, jokes around, is a bit of a personality. Because you, they're going to have a two- or three-year honeymoon 
because there's no expectation that they would be good. So there, so they can be they can afford to be really bad for the first two years. Well, the Leafs were bad for ten. Well, that but they were in Toronto. Good point. So yeah, I think they can afford to be bad for two or three years, and then there's going to have to be then then they're going to start sell. They're going to sell hype now. Then they can sell hope, right? So if if he's smart, and I think he is, he'll he'll do exactly what you talked about. All right, I'll take your first round pick, and I'll leave those two studs alone. And but I'm going to take this guy, or he'll cut deals where he's going to pick a guy up, and he's already got a trade made for him. So I would suggest to you that the obvious players that he doesn't take, he's been bought off, and the good ones he does take. He may be flipping to another team. I mean, this could be the most, if you're a hockey nut, which I'm not, it'll be interesting to watch. Stats guys will go nuts. But it could be very intriguing over the next five or six days. And this will all happen, I would think, before July 1st and free agency comes Well, it's even before then. Because uh, uh, apparently the NHL has told Vegas, don't announce teams you've made trades with. Because almost everything you would think that they are going to be trading is for draft picks. They want to build up their farm system and build up young players. So they are going to, Vegas will draft Don Robertson, and they may have, as you say, a deal in place to move him to someone else. But on Wednesday night, they're not going to announce that. But what you're going to see is on draft day, two days later. Well, the two days between, if George McPhee hasn't slept in three weeks, he he better have some really good stuff he's taken because he's not going to sleep for another four or five days. No. So to answer your question is they don't have to bring in Shane Doan because he's a quality guy and can be a third-line player and give them respectability. You know, they can be god-awful for two years, and if they stockpile enough young guys, so even if they pick up a, a, a flurry mm-hmm. and they trade him for a good young defenseman that's on his way up, and they're in decent shape in three or four years, They'll. that's the way to build this thing. Well, and you will see on Friday and Saturday, I think, at the draft, because they're not supposed to announce trades right now, I think you're going to be hearing Gary Bettman come up to the platform an awful lot saying, we have a trade. Ottawa has traded its first-round pick to Vegas, and I think you're going to hear Las Vegas' name come up over and over and over again. And if I'm, you, one example, if I'm the Toronto Maple Leafs, there are the Toronto Maple Leafs, the area they need to get players. They need defensemen. They've got tons of forwards. They've got so many young forwards right now. They don't need more forwards. If I'm the Leafs, I am going to Vegas right now and saying, if you pick up this guy and this guy, we will give you our first round pick this year and our first round pick next year or the year after, whatever it is. And First round picks have become almost untradeable. People won't trade them in the NHL, but the Leafs are going to be drafting defensemen anyway. And if you can get somebody who is an established NHL defenseman for the cost of a first round pick, I would do it in a sec. I would do it in a heartbeat. If I'm the Leafs and I could somehow pick up two established, young, up and coming, pretty starish or at least close to defensemen for the price of two first round picks that I was going to use on defensemen anyway, I'd do that without even blinking. The key, the key component in what you said is age. They they don't want these guys over twenty five years old. They, they don't, don't want to pay a they're not, six or seven million contract either. No, they they're not guys doing it for a twenty nine year old. No, nope. but they'll do it for a twenty five or a twenty six year old. And he doesn't have to be brilliant. I mean, he can as long as he's a good, solid, stay at home defenseman. 
that fourth guy that's going to kill penalties and be out there when you're up a goal. They don't have a lot of that, and they don't have a lot of meanness. Oh, so, it, look, if I'm the Leafs, and I could get, as an example, Mark Mathot, who plays for Ottawa right now. Ottawa would never trade Mark Mathot to the Leafs in a million years because it's Ottawa and the Leafs. That would never, the only way, the only time you trade between those two teams is when it's the Leafs trying to dump Dion Phaneuf and his huge contract on Ottawa. But if you could get Mark Mathot and you could get one of the two young guys who are really good defensemen from Anaheim and it costs you two first round draft picks, you do that without even blinking. Mathot, uh, I think, is the guy they wanted to protect if they could have got Dion and put him on, yes. on the list and hope that. The, here's something else we're going to see Vegas have to do they're going to have to pick up like Fleury. Um, and two or three guys to spend the money to get to the floor because they're going to have so many young guys and so many in third, fourth liners that there's going to be guys that they'll pick up like bad contracts because, you know, they got to spend the money. And there's going to be guys saying, well, and, and they'll get a draft pick for that. And the other team will pick up some of the, some of the salary. I mean, this might be the first time in history that one team – Makes twenty five first round draft picks. Well, I don't think I don't think there'll be that many, but they could. I mean, n- no joke. It'll they, be an inordinate amount. They could very easily have ten picks by the end of the second round. I think that's not unrealistic to, to see them having ten picks by the time between the first and second round. Too bad they didn't have any amateur scouts. They have no idea who to scout. Yeah, right. Who to pick. What now? While we're on this one, though, there was a trade in the NBA today involving draft picks. That Philadelphia, that Boston sent the, they won the draft lottery. Boston did. They got a pretty good team to begin with. So they're not looking right now necessarily to build for down the road, although uh, it doesn't hurt. But Boston traded the first overall draft pick to Philadelphia. Philadelphia has the third overall draft pick, plus they have two others next year, I believe it is, in the first round from other teams. If you're, an, if you're a general manager, whether it's hockey, whether it's basketball, baseball, you can't trade draft picks in the first, you can't trade draft picks, period, in baseball. But do you want to have the best over, the best player, period, because that's what you would presumably get with the first overall pick, or do you want to have a quantity of really good players, even if he's not necessarily the best guy? Would you have made a trade like this last year if, for example, if Arizona who desperately wanted to get Austin Matthews. Now, Austin Matthews turned out to be a pretty darn good player. But if Arizona had three first-round picks in their possession, including one who was, say, third overall, and they were willing to give you those three for Austin Matthews, would you have done that? No. Even before we looked in retrospect? Because, again, after the year... No, but after the year, you could say, oh, well, sure, of course you wouldn't. But would you have not done that even before then? Well, it's Austin Matthews is no Connor McDavid, but, boy, he's not a bad reason. He's a great player. No, he's a great player. Similarly, right? And if you... It's it's a convoluted question, but if you have that opportunity and there's a clear-cut number one guy, you never give him up. Now, the research I've done on the NBA is... uh, just rattling through my head is now complete. And I don't know. It, there's clearly no stud or Boston wouldn't give him up. Well, there is. There's a very good player, but there's also other good players. It's a question of do you want four, three or four really good players or a superstar? See, Philly must think the world of somebody. They do. And they must think far less of everybody after him. So perhaps for them it makes sense. Uh, Boston will 
rue the day they do this because five years from now everybody's going to say, well, look at what they gave up. But that's not for – that's why GMs go, you know what, I'm probably not going to be here in five years. Maybe flip, I will. But, Don, the flip side to that is Eric Lindros was that guy. You and I have talked about how the fact that Eric Lindros is one of – I mean, his career was short, but one of the most dominant players ever. Colorado Avalanche, which came as the Quebec Nordique originally, they won – two Stanley Cups based on the haul they got for Eric Lindros. They didn't get the guy who was the best player in the trade, but they got four or five really, really good players that helped them get over the top. That See, that's where it becomes tricky, is that it's easy to say, I mean, I would never want to say, I would never have traded Connor McDavid, or at least the rights to that pick. But what if the team that offered you to you gave you four guys who were all-star players? You don't see it very often, do you? You don't. And it's it's a tough one because if you screw it up, now yeah, Connor true. McDavid comes in and got hurt like he did last year yep. and gets hurt again this year. You're going, this guy's made out of glass. Yeah, if he turns out to be injury prone, it looks like a horrible decision it, you kept him. Yeah, that's right. But, it, you know, it, unless, but it's, hard to, it's hard to trade a stud. Now, it wasn't like the Quebec Nordiques did it because they wanted to. It wasn't, wasn't a genius play. No, no. He wouldn't play for them. No, they, their their hand. It's they, ama- they won by default. They just did a great job of doing it. It's amazing. They traded him twice. Yeah, it's amazing that they could get that much for him, considering mm. they had no leverage. Other than the fact that if you recall, and for people who are listening, you remember this, um, as you say, they traded him twice. The Rangers thought that they had traded for Eric Lindros. Yeah. And the Flyers thought they had traded for Eric Lindros. And did it go to, I can't remember, did it go to an arbitrator? Because they couldn't figure out who had actually... The Nordiques apparently dealt him twice and didn't tell either of the other sides, and then uh, there was a huge fight over it. Turned out okay for them. I don't remember how it happened. And, you know, if Lindros stays healthy, I think the, I think the Flyers win some Stanley Cups. May he well. Was, uh, May well. You know, I've thought about your top five question. We'll have to do that another day, but I'm moving some guys around. We'll do that another day for sure. But it's uh, now, just before we go to break, how then, we'll go back to Vegas for a second because they're drafting this team. We have seen Nashville work in this spring. We've seen how well a team that is in a non-traditional hockey market can work when a lot of things go right. Is that exactly, is that model, should Las Vegas be studying exactly the model of Nashville or is there another way? Because it took 20 years, basically. Is it 20 years, 15 years for Nashville to get to that point? Or is there another way that Vegas can actually work faster? I think the entry draft is going to help them immensely. Uh, traditionally, the National Hockey League have said, give us all your money, and now pick what fourth and fifth line players you would like. Yes. And you can only have so many fourth line players, and then you got to take American leaguers. I mean, they used to screw the expansion team so badly. Like, right off the bat, they should they, they can't give them the first over pick, but the worst they should do is the second overall pick. Now, Vegas did okay in that. You know, some guys yep. practice losing, and they deserve the first-round pick. And sometimes it gets monkeyed up a little bit. That's all the others got McDavid. Well, yeah. But, with, but, with, but without question, they, they certainly can't wait 15 years, but they've got a real head start on all the other expansion teams. Because for half a million dollars, you've got to give them a couple guys that can do something other than tie half their own teeth and breathe. Yeah, half a billion. Yeah, and, and in past expansions, whether it's NHL or NBA or Major League Baseball, we have seen the equivalent would be giving someone a $200 gift certificate to a nice steakhouse. 
And then walking in and yeah. saying, oh, but you can only order off page six, which has all your uh, meals that are only involving the gristle. So here, you can spend the 200 bucks, but uh, we're only going to give you fat and gristle and uh, partially chewed steak left over by other guests. But knock yourself out. Have a the, good time. The expansion teams in the past, success was a roll of the dice. It's not in Vegas. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. You know what's going to be the trickiest part maybe for Vegas after this weekend is over? Is actually having enough guys to put on the ice because I could see them moving so many guys for draft picks that you may be seeing guys coming in who are dumped from other teams in the offseason, free agents, just free agent after free agent. Let's bring anybody in here who can try out. You may be seeing, I don't know what you're going to be seeing, but I I will be shocked if of the 30 players that they're going to take in this expansion draft, I will be truly shocked if 15 of them ever even attend Vegas' first tryout. Or first training camp. I think half of them will be gone before September rolls around. At least half of them. You'll you'll see though George McPhee do what I said. He'll 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 probably use Flurry, and he'll try and grab a couple guys with a bit of cachet and a bit of personality, and a bit of sizzle that you know he can they can send out to the public and they're you know they're quote machines and they become. They become famous for being uh, Vegas's first players, and they'll be not bad players. Is PK Subban available? They wish. I don't think he'd so. Be, now. He'd be he'd be kind of That's perfect guy for that, Vegas. Yeah, he'd be perfect for Vegas. I said Domi, but they, you know Domi's too old. But yeah, I, I say that tongue in cheek. But a Ty Domi kind of guy. Yeah. So you need somebody that can joke around and like Pilar when 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 he was asked the other night about the Blue Jays. He said, well, you lost tonight. What's it feel like? Because, you know, could have taken you to 500. And his response was, you know, we're just waiting for the right time, and it wasn't right tonight. And every- <laughs> I mean, it was a great answer to a dumb question. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Don, you said something a few minutes ago that you, you dropped a word in there, and I can't even remember what the context was, but I made a little note here. Because you talked about hype. We have seen in the last week there is a fight that's announced between Conor McGregor and um, Floyd Mayweather that nobody gives any realistic possibility of being a good fight. You've got a, one of the best boxers of all time and you've got an MMA fighter who's going to be competing in a boxing ring using heavier gloves than he's used to, who can't kick, who can't take a guy down. It's two different sports and he is... Anyway, but they're making $100 million each. It makes all the sense in the world, but it's hype. The whole thing is going to be built on hype because the one thing Conor McGregor is great at, he is the best in the world at hyping a fight, selling a fight, getting riled up and making a scene and all the rest. But is that not really what, when you talk about Vegas now building a team, you talk about this, you talk about pregame shows for Hockey Night in Canada, you talk about the Grey Cup, the Super Bowl. Is sports not in large measure, all hype now? I mean, the sport is, yeah, okay, we'll watch the game too, but it's all about the hype. Is that not becomes a, the biggest part of the whole attraction? It's the biggest part of the sell. It's all it's always been sizzle. That's where Muhammad Ali made it famous. He did. He was probably the one who did it the best. Him and Joe Namath that I can think of. I yeah, can't Joe think of Namath. another one. Well, I don't hype. Michael Phelps is going to race a shark. Literally I jumping mean, the shark. I mean, did his Wheaties contract give out on him? Don't forget, Ben Johnson raced against a racehorse. And a car. And a car. And a Formula One or an Indy car, yes. So, you know, it's pretty well over. But the box, but we all boxing, fall is, for it. boxing is so thin, though, right? There's just no, I mean, 
But they're getting a hundred uh, Charlie million Weaver at least used to come up, and 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 these heavyweights. Trevor Burbick could be the heavyweight champion of the world now. God bless his soul. But right, I mean, there's just no big league boxers around, and the heavyweight division is is been eliminated off the face of the earth. But why is that? Is it because there's no good boxers or because these guys are boring as all get out and don't know how to get people engaged and watching? Well, Mike, Sugar Ray Leonard was always a lot more fun to watch than the heavyweights. But you also were intrigued to watch. Yes, he was He was stylistically, but he was also a guy who could talk the game. Mike Tyson, his style, the knockout power was great, but he also sold the fight. He was about hype. You knew something was going to happen in a Mike Tyson fight. Yeah. Bite somebody's ear off. You're right. But when was the last? When was the last time you heard a great pre-fight sales job by Vladimir Klitschko? Last weekend. He sold that fight. I don't know. No, but I mean, the, the fact is, the heavyweight division is dead because there's nobody there who's got any personality, or there's nothing. I don't even know when these fights are on. There was never a time you didn't know when Mike Tyson was fighting. Or Ali. No, but there, I mean, there used to be boxing matches in Hamilton, and there used to be all kinds of boxing matches and, and so on, and they don't have that anymore because it's it's lost interest. I don't know if it's MMA. I don't know if it's TV. Maybe it's just one of those sports that's A lot more competition. I mean... For your for your eyeballs. I mean, not in the sport. No, I understand. The uh, I mean, the National Hockey League, I'll go back to when I was a kid, like in, in the 1920s and 30s, um, the guys, Bill Wirtz and these guys were buying NHL franchises, bought them to put them into their boxing arena so they had more dates in the wintertime. But look at the NHL as an example. You have, when Hockey Night in Canada comes on now, you have the pre, there's a song always with the, you know, the video clips and everything that builds up the game. In the stadium, you got the lights, you got, we just watched the Nashville Predators in the finals, yeah. skating through the Predators' head with the music going in a million, and the whole thing is about hyping the game to the point where oftentimes I think it doesn't really matter. If it's a great game, fantastic, but it doesn't really matter if it is. As long as you're in the stadium, in the arena, as long as you've bought your ticket or you've sat down on the couch so that you're going to start watching, that's all that matters. When I had the uh, world-famous Brantford Smoke and Brantford in a minor pro league. Um, and they were world-famous. They were they were for a while. I took off. Got stories of them. For a weekend. It's a, it's, it's a public show. Um uh, Took off for a weekend, went to Cincinnati because they'd had like 142 straight sellouts just to see what they were doing, the market, the game that we were doing. I'll tell you, the entertainment inside, inside the arena and on the ice during the intermissions was far better than the hockey itself was. And that's what they were selling. They were selling entertainment. And, boy, they were good at it. So those minor league ECHL teams back years ago – we're really good at it, and it's true today. I, I talked about Vegas. They've got to find somebody that can sell the game for them, that can at least be entertaining and at least be quotable when they've just lost their 13th out of 15th match. And white tigers during the intermissions. And making them disappear. Now, that would be tricky. You, you're up for a really important face-off in the Vegas end. And the other team's goalie suddenly vanishes. Disappears. <laughs> yeah, and all referees have to dress like Elvis. <laughs> All the off-ice off officials, anyway. The guy in the penalty box, when he opens the gate, I don't think much. Come on in here, Silla. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.